It's Friday, December 7th. Welcome to episode 6 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Insert Content Here. Hi, uh, welcome to Insert Content Here. I'm your host, Jeff Eaton, a senior architect at uh, Lullabot. And I'm here here today with uh, Dean Barker, a partner at Blend Interactive. He's been writing and speaking on various content management related issues for years, and uh, and uh, he's a prolific blogger on a lot of very very interesting content strategy related issues. Um, it's a pleasure to have him on the show today. So uh, welcome, Dean. Thank you for having me. Now, what people are listening to this don't realize is that. We don't actually get to hear the jingle, and I'm really disappointed because the jingle is just so awesome. I'm actually not allowed to play it um, without headphones in my house. My wife has officially declared it earworm material. Yeah, it's. I tell you, it got in my head and, and has not left yet. So, <laughs> well, uh, well, thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for having me. I do need to uh, get in the official plug. Lullabot, we, we're, we're hunting for a technical project manager. So if you're out there and you like working with cool people and you can make an order from chaos, uh, check out lullabot.com slash jobs and uh, see if it's for you. With that, we can start uh, talking turkey. Um, sure. I, oh, that's, that, that should have been my line for Thanksgiving. But, but moving on. I was just thinking about that. A turkey reference like a couple weeks after Thanksgiving is, is just not the way to do it. <laughs> so well, one of the things that I thought was really interesting when I started reading the stuff that you were writing um, – was uh, that you actually come from a computer science background or, well, development and IS. Um, that that seems to be relatively uncommon in the world of content strategy. Um, it's, you know, pretty common in CMS stuff, but I know that you've been working, you know, you've been talking and moving a lot in the content strategy spheres. It, it just seems like a, an interesting, um, an interesting uh, path probably led to that. You know, how, how do you, how did you get into this, this kind of stuff? Well, you know, I tend to look at the path as kind of inevitable. I was I was a straight up developer for many years, and then I got into content management kind of in the late 90s. And I always say I've been working with content management since before it even had a name. We just <laughs> called it Perl scripts and flat files back then. And what led me really to content strategy, and, and mind you, I still do an enormous amount of content management space, but what really led me to content strategy is that um, uh, I was sick of building containers that people put nothing in <laughs> is is really what led me there. We spent an enormous amount of time in my industry building and refining content management systems, and we've done really a fantastic job with that. But we realized that we would turn the keys to these websites over to people, and they would just you know fall flat on their face. They just really couldn't manage it. And so, um, you know, Blend we took a Blend is a development firm. We specialize in content management integrations, and we we hired a content strategist. Even though we don't really advertise content strategy, we hired a content strategy strategist just to have clients plan out their content management implementations around the content that they were going to mm-hmm. to do. Because while I love content management and I, I could talk about it for ages and I kind of live, eat, and breathe it, um, it's really just a means to an end. I mean, content management exists to manage content. Make sure you have content worth managing first, then go get a content management system, but... That may be an old school way of, think, of of looking at it. Seems like a critical step, you know. Well, well it, it's actually funny. I know a lot of the people on the development side who've started getting interested in this kind of stuff have a very similar story. It's, you know, it's not like they said woke up one day and said, "By gummit, I'm going to be a content strategist." It's just they realized this is the name for all of these different things that 
we've discovered we have to do for projects to actually succeed. And there's other people talking about it in this sphere. Well, you know, what I said about content management being means to an end is, is very, very true. It really needs to, any web project really needs to start primarily with the audience. Once you've defined the audience of what they need, you need to work on the content, which is, is what's going to fulfill the goals of that audience. And then you need to look at the technology platform for managing that content. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it really goes audience content technology. And we were largely, I think, doing it backwards. When, um, you know, I remember churches, churches always need websites. And my own church needed a website once. And so they uh, said, well, let's get all the computer geeks. Let's get all the computer geeks that, that know how to that know how to program computers. And I always thought that was kind of backwards. Shouldn't you get content people to start writing content for the website? But no, you get the computer geeks, so you start with the technology. And then you think, well, we need some content. So you kind of think up the content you should go on your website. Yep. And then you start thinking about the audience, where you're like, no, people say they can't find anything on our website, and our, our website doesn't do what they need to do. So we've, for years we've done this backwards. We've gone technology content audience, where really we need to be going audience content technology. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. It's it's interesting seeing that sort of the the gospel of figuring out why you're actually putting together a website starting to become more more mainstream. Because I think, I mean, especially for those of us who started in, you know, pure development backgrounds and stuff like that, it, it just seems so common that we've been on those projects where, you know, somewhere along the line, someone didn't ask why. Well, what you're seeing here, I think, is the effect of what I would call the commoditization of content management. Whereas I've been selling content management for like a decade. And 10 years ago, when we would go sell a CMS, we would do a demo and we'd say, and look, you can click this button and you can edit the page right here. And everyone was like, oh, ah, that's just amazing. Look at that. We can edit the page right there. And well, now, wig. Right, right. There are 300 open source systems that can do that. So now content management has been so commoditized that the fact that I can have some piece of software running on the server that lets me edit content is not interesting anymore. It's not. I mean, we used to make websites just to install new content management systems because they were so new and awesome. And, Try them and all. And now it's, it's just not interesting anymore. And so and you, you get what's called – I was just working with a client this morning, and, and we're, we're, we're working at selling them on a larger content marketing platform. And I was explaining to them what's become known in the industry as the Drupal effect. And uh, the Drupal effect is Drupal being kind of the largest um, kind of 800-pound gorilla in the content management space, in the open source space. The Drupal effect is anything that Drupal does is no longer a competitive advantage for anybody. <laughs> so if Drupal does thing X, no CMS vendor can use thing X in a presentation anymore. It's just so, a baseline. Right. It's, it's a baseline. It's, it's a commodity. We used to show, well, you can edit your page of content right here online. Okay. Well, when Drupal allowed people to do that for free, you had to take all those slides out of your presentation. And, and I envision, I'm sure it doesn't happen exactly like this, but I envision whenever Drupal releases some new piece of functionality, content management salesmen start pulling slides out of their presentation decks because they can't really use this. And so right now, the big trend in the content management space is content marketing and things like anonymous personalization and A-B mm-hmm. testing. These are things that Drupal, the core Drupal, is, is really still not doing anymore. And, and I'm sure there are modules that do it. And I'm sure Drupal is eventually going to get there. But but it's um, not just the out-of-box stuff that you get just for dropping Drupal in. Right. And so this stuff is still the competitive advantage. And so what you see with content management vendors and people who sell content management like I do is that we used to, even five years ago, we would start our presentations off with, 
here's how you manage a page of content. Well, we don't. That doesn't even show up anymore. Now we start our presentations off with, here's how you run an A-B test. That'll be the first part of the presentation. And then later on in the presentation, it's like, oh, and by the way, you can manage a page of content too. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Drupal effect has really caused CMS vendors to have to step up their game and keep searching for that new competitive advantage. Things are going to set them apart from both the lower-end commercial system and the big open source projects like Drupal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think think that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting because, like, I've been primarily a Drupal guy for, you know, for the last, you know, probably, you know, six years or so. Um, you know, there's other stuff I've worked with sort of recreationally on, 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 you know, small components of projects. But we do a lot of Drupal projects. I love it when people say recreationally because it makes it sound like a drug habit. <laughs> so you've been you've been abusing Drupal recreationally for years. Uh, honestly, there's really no other reason why I should have a Node.js-based CMS running on my machine at home. Um, yeah. my, my my wife says that it's not really that important to keep the grocery list, you know. Well, what's important to know, Jeff, though, is you can quit anytime you want. Exactly. Yeah. Just shut down the VM and it's, I, it's I'm no not problem. An addict. I can quit anytime. <laughs> um, well, it, I think one of the things that's really interesting, um, and this this sort of ties in you know, with, with one of the things that I think you write about a lot, um, the the content modeling space, I think that's one of the things that at least for maybe the past, you know, three to four years, Drupal has grown a lot in comparison to a lot of the open source, a lot of the web-centric open source CMSs in that it's got a really strong emphasis on the content types, fields, views for modeling out the basic underlying structural stuff, hopefully before you start, you know, glomping on random features and, and really thinking too heavily about like the intricacies of the visual design. Um, and it seems like that's a that's a pretty valuable you know path for it, but it, but it seems like it's still pretty web centric um, at the moment. Um, do, you, do you think that's something that um, either you know Drupal specifically or just in general is going to be changing over time? It absolutely will change, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I, we've always had a web centricity in content management. You know, one of the ultimate goals of content management was always to separate your content from your presentation. So the goal was we'd store the content in this wonderfully pure form that exists in nothing but this pure form of information. And then platonic content. Right, right, right. And so oh then we'll make a web page out of it. But I mean come on, let's be serious. Everybody was making web pages. And so some that abstraction started to leak a little bit. We started to do things that were just very, very web centric because the idea was yes this information will model in this wonderfully neutral form but i mean get serious everybody's making web pages out of it <laughs> yep but now this has really really started to change because i maintain it's because of the rise of mobile devices weirdly yep um uh someone i know just wrote a book called uh, for rosenfeld media called um content everywhere oh and yeah I'm, I'm looking right. forward to that coming out Okay, and I can tell you her first name is Sarah, but I'm not going to tell you her last name because I can't pronounce it, and I'll probably murder <laughs> it here. I wrote a sidebar for the book, actually. Oh, cool. And um, so the idea is that you model content so it can be rearranged and displayed on all these different devices. And I got to thinking, after I had done a Skype interview with her and, and I had written this, this sidebar piece to her, I got to thinking, wasn't this what we were supposed to be doing all along? I mean, wasn't this the whole point that we would model content in such a way that the presentation was not web-centric and we could present it anywhere? And yes, this is what we were supposed to be doing, but we never did because all we were ever doing was web pages in, in full-sized browsers. Yep. But now that mobile devices and not only that, but true multi-channel 
uh, multi-channel distribution, like, you know, you want to put your news update out on Facebook or up on Twitter, this stuff has really forced our hand. And it said, okay, all these years, you said you were separating content from presentation so you could rearrange your content and display it in different ways. Well, it's now time to put up or shut up. And I think a lot of us stepped back and said, yeah, we weren't really doing that because we were just <laughs> using web pages. And so you're seeing things like, you know, Drupal without CCK, Drupal was not a very strongly modeled system. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, CCK is now in the core and you're seeing other systems moving to a much more strongly modeled granular type system because, you know, their bluff has been called and they have to start delivering content to multiple devices and multiple channels, which require that content to be rearranged independent of presentation, which is what we swore we were doing all along, but we really weren't. So and that's that's why I think this is just going to become a bigger and bigger deal in the future. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because Karen McGrain has said the same thing, you know, a, a number of times that it's like mobile is this, you know, this giant, you know, wedge that's sort of for, forcing people to revisit a lot of these things that they said they were doing all the time. But, you know, it's, realizing, it's, oh, we it's weren't really forcing us to stop lying to ourselves. Right? <laughs> we, that for stuff years, just sounds unpleasant. For years, we lied and lied and lied and said that we were modeling content so, you know, we could separate content and presentation. We really weren't. We were leaking that abstraction all over the place. And kind of mobile, not only mobile, but I would maintain multi-channel distribution, you know, everything going into Facebook and Twitter. It's really forced us to be honest. And and the industry, uh, the information industry will be healthier for in the end. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's been interesting. The rise of responsive stuff, I think, gave us this window of time where we thought, you know, just sufficiently – Sufficiently crafty CSS could solve the problem for us, but then it became clear that that was just sort of one of the tools in the toolbox that we were going to be able to use for this and that it wasn't going to fix everything. Right. I always feel so betrayed by responsive design. And I'll tell <laughs> you why. Because back in like 2002, I, I got this crazy idea one day and I sat down to try it. It was a three-column layout and I used JavaScript to detect the size of the window and either show or hide that third column. So I maintain – I was doing responsive design long before anybody else. But I did it and I proved that it worked and then I just threw it away and stored it somewhere. I should have patented it. I could have made a fortune. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's funny how like there, there's a lot of those things that you find they've been sort of percolating around for a long time like, you know, Ajax-related stuff. You know, it had been – you know, people had been doing that kind of stuff for a while but, it, you know, it got a name and then suddenly there was this collective aha moment. I, I think sometimes technology has to be marketed and packaged for the content industry as a whole to kind of chew on it. Think about content strategy itself. I mean, content strategy was always what we we're supposed to be doing. In the back of our head, we were like, well, yeah, you know, we sort of are supposed to be doing this. But once somebody put a name on it, and once Christina Calverson came out with a book with content strategy and big letters on the front, suddenly it gelled and everyone's like, oh, yeah, content strategy. That's what we're doing. Well, that's what we're supposed to be doing all along. Somebody put a name on it now. And, and then suddenly um, everyone was a little bit embarrassed to not do it. Right, right. Ajax, the exact same way. I mean, Ajax was around. I was using XML HTTP objects in Visual Basic script on an internet that only had to run an Internet Explorer. I was doing that back in 2001. Same, but now I, I had the same uh, same experience. You know, how else are you going to make client side you know editable tables? But you know, right, right. But then someone put a name on it. I don't. Yep. Was it Sean Inman that put the name on it? And suddenly got a name, and now it's like a thing. You know. Although to be fair, then it started running on other browsers that weren't IE6. So you know, right. thumbs up to that. Um, <laughs> well, but, for a long time, <laughs> IE was probably the only thing we had to worry about. So true. Uh, so I, I think this sort of, this, this again ties in with one of the things that I think you've been talking about a lot on your blog. Um, the, this idea of, 
you know, decoupling the management and the delivery portions of a CMS, decoupling, is something that I think does kind of tie into this. So even beyond the pure content model, you've been talking about, you know, whether or not a, a, a phase is starting in decoupled CMSs. Um, that's kind of a blast from the past, too. It really is. You know, it used to be back in the day, all CMSs were decoupled. And the idea was that you would have some repository server with some management tools. And then what it would do is it would, it would bake uh, your content against some template and deliver an HTML file somewhere. And this is how content management was done. Well, who had a server fast enough to just dynamically generate all that stuff? Oh, right, right. I remember back in 99 working with Documentum. Documentum's massive enterprise content management system, and, and what it would do is it would actually generate um, HTML files and then transmit them over some some port uh, to your server, and you had a process running on your server that would accept these files and place them, and this was cutting edge. This is what we did, um, and I remember when Interwoven, uh, Interwoven was another old school content management company that I don't even know if it's even around anymore, but Interwoven made team site. Installations are still around. I know yeah, that Yeah, I bet. I bet they they made a product called TeamSite, which advertised this virtual uh, what they call it virtual staging environment. So what you could do is stage your content, and and then you could say when it was supposed to go live. Well, it was just like some kind of published flag on the database. But this was shocking to everybody that oh my goodness, we're editing our content in production and just not publishing it right away. And this was super shocking. I still talk to people today that don't understand that with a modern content management system, you don't need a staging server to stage your content changes and then push them to your production server. We have the same conversation a lot. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's one of those things like, you know, right, riding a bicycle without a helmet. It just, it feels like this is just a terrible idea, but it's the way it's no more fundamentally insecure than having another system on the back end that just pushes static files, you know? Right. So we have this conversation with people all the time that, that, that they're really going to put their content somewhere and push it out. Now, decoupled content management systems, they sort of went away because the presentation layer got really interesting. We, we used to not be doing much on request time. I mean, the piece of content that you would publish um, would be the same piece of content that people would consume. But then we started doing really interesting stuff in the presentation layer, like um, – Comments. You know, people started, yeah, people started to be able to log in and do things, and we started to do personalization and all this stuff. And so it got to be a point where at request time, when someone requests a page of content, we need to do all this stuff. And so we got to the point where we were using decoupled content management systems to push active files over. So to publish PHP files or ColdFusion files or something that would execute at request time, and there would be this huge runtime environment that would do all this stuff. And then we finally decided, well, let's eliminate the middleman and just, you know, run our content management system on our delivery server and just make it kind of a full stack experience. And now there have been some people in the content management space that are saying that we should return to the decoupled model. And the reason why they're saying that is decoupled content management, you have to understand, does have quite a few advantages. It's much easier to scale a decoupled system. Oh, yeah. Um, it's much easier to mass license a decoupled solution because you really license your repository server. And if you're publishing just a bare bones naked Apache installs, you don't have to license those. So there's licensing issues. Um, there's security issues. There's a number of reasons why decoupled kind of wins a lot of, a lot of arguments. But one of the things that there's this movement, there's actually a website I just found the other day. I just blogged about it, decoupledcms.org. Yes. It's, yes. That's, I think by some of the people working on the, like the create JS stuff. 
Right. So it's it's like it's like a movement now. They're philosophically saying let's get back to that because one thing you can do with a decoupled CMS is that you can swap in alternate components a lot more easily. Mm-hmm. If you have a complicated complicated content management system running in your production environment, it gets much harder to replace a piece of that. Whereas a decoupled system tends to be much more modular. And so you could produce content in a different way or you could use different thing for workflow or something like that because the content management system kind of doesn't own the production runtime space. You don't worry about your homepage templates getting mucked up if you decide to implement different workflow on the pure management side. Right. And that, that's exactly right. And so what this movement is and, – and the guy behind this movement um, was I believe one of the original developers of Midgard, which if there is an, an old guard in the content management space, Midgard, I would nominate – as as one of those systems. And so he's been around for a long time. He's seen a lot of it. And and I think decoupled may come back. I, I think there will always be a place for coupled systems. We'll always see that. But I could see a lot of the disadvantages of having a decoupled system are going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, I, I think decoupled CMS is, is due for a renaissance. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think, well, it's it's actually especially interesting to me because for probably the past, like, maybe three years or so, like, it's effective, de- effectively decoupling things has been one of the primary ways to scale Drupal on really large, you know, high-traffic installations. The idea of, you know, sticking a, bar- a bunch of varnish proxies in front of your Apache server and having it actually serve all of your traffic is, I mean... The, t- the implementation is very different, but at the end of the day, it's not too different than the idea of having baked HTML content that gets served from a dumb process rather than taxing your, your heavy CMS. Um, it's, not, it's not really the same because you still have that, you know, that CMS doing both the generation of the underlying you know, HTML and the actual management of it, but there's a lot of ways of thinking about certain kinds of problems that I think that's, um, that's bubbled up to the surface, even inside of the dynamic uh, CMS world. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. And I wonder if any of the old decoupled systems that fell out of favor will start making a, a comeback, I guess I would say. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we're going to see Documentum roll back into the content management space or, or Interwoven or Vignette or something like that, but it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm absolutely in favor for it. I'm in favor of anything that gives kind of more variety and flexibility to the marketplace, yep. and I think there is very much a customer that, that could use a decoupled solution, and uh, so I'm fascinated to see where it goes. One thing I will, will find very interesting is that when you have a decoupled solution, you, you always publish to some published target, right? And so mm-hmm. the pub- if you had a content management repository and then the published target was a publishing server sitting right next to it, well, your target was an HTML file on your publishing server. What I will be very interested to see is what our published targets end up being. Yeah. I could see our published targets end up being nodes in a CDN somewhere. So yeah. when you hit publish, you're actually publishing to Amazon CloudFront. Yeah, you're no, actually publishing yeah. to Akamai or something. And, and so the actual target you publish to is no longer a file on your own web server. It may be um, some database record in Amazon S3 or something like that. Uh, crazy times ahead of us. But. Yeah, I always find it funny when talking about files, like HTML files. Um, you ever hear the phrase use something like, we're going to write that to a physical file. Yeah. And I, I always love that. It's like a physical file, really. So this is going to be a piece of paper sitting on my desk. And they're like, no, no, well, you know what I mean. But even the concept of bytes on disk being formed into a file 
is so old and outdated now that we refer to it as a physical file. It's like the ultimate insult. For it's like the digital, digital version of you know pounding out you know marks in your stone tablets and leaving it there for for posterity. Right, right. It's like the ultimate insult. You know, I, I you know, I hate you so much. You're like the physical file of people. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think this is actually interesting because e- even like at the low end, like at the well, I don't want to say the low end. It, it's more on the on the lower end of the complexity scale um, for for dynamic sites. It's like there's such a huge percentage of the internet um, running on dynamic systems like WordPress, especially. Um, and it seems like you know there's it, it seems like there was this real phase where like a huge percentage of like really really large clients and large sites were were sort of you know flirting with using basically blogging software to like build out really complex platforms. Um, I mean, with, and it's not, and it's not just a WordPress issue. It's, you know, all of these different sort of, uh, you know, especially open source dynamic systems that I think have sprung up and been adopted by different organizations with, with a shift towards more decoupled systems. I mean, like what, what do you, what kind of changes do you think organizations that are, that are used to, you know, rolling out um, a microsite that way or you know are currently grappling with trying to coordinate all of their little dynamic sites scattered all over the place um but still it's it's something that they know it's you know it's it's, it's the devil they know what kind of changes do you think come with with a move towards a more centralized approach and, and a decoupled approach yeah i don't think you're going to see decoupled systems go too far down market mm-hmm. i mean i think the decoupled systems are they're I mean, by definition, they're more complex in the sense that you really only always have two systems. You have the repository and the runtime. Um, and so I don't think you're going to see anybody to install a decoupled system to run a microsite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you may have system or companies that, that use their decoupled system to run multiple microsites. But um, you won't see them move that far down market. There's absolutely always going to play place for the WordPresses and the Drupals of the world, obviously. Um, but a lot of organizations like decoupled systems because they can have a centralized repository that can publish to multiple different architectures. Mm-hmm. So they may be publish something to a Solaris box and some to a Linux box and some to a Windows box. And so it really separates that environment from where your content is managed to where your content is published, which gives their network people more flexibility in the delivery layer. If they decide one day that they want to swap all their Windows machines out for Solaris boxes and all we're doing is pushing HTML into those machines anyway, well, then it doesn't matter. They, they have as to long as it can serve up a request, then we're good. Exactly, exactly. Now, what, what is going to be interesting is how this survives you know, the, the content delivery backlash because there are a lot of very, very interesting trends in the marketplace right now that are concentrated on content delivery. And to do interesting stuff in the delivery tier, you have to have an active delivery tier that does execution on request. And how do you power that active delivery tier? Well, and I, so I think, it, actually, I think what we're going to find is the things running in production are more content delivery, content marketing oriented software, and these mm-hmm. decoupled systems are going to do the management part of it behind the scenes. Yep. No, well, I, I think it's very interesting because there was just an announcement I think a couple of weeks ago that uh, NPR, <clears throat> excuse me, NPR had released a WordPress plugin um, to integrate with its Cope architecture, the Create Once Publish Everywhere system that they've built and have been leveraging a lot. And the idea is, you know, any of their you know, any of their affiliate stations that are running a WordPress-based site can drop this in and either pull stories from their Cope API 
to publish directly on their local, you know, station's website, or even create local stories and to push them back into the, the central content repository. So in a way, they're sort of turning that, you know, that cloud of, of smaller, um, of smaller purely dynamic sites into, you know, a million endpoints for their, for their internal repository. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me really at all. I hadn't heard that, but it doesn't surprise me at all. About two years ago, I made a blog post where I tried to coin a new term, and I don't think it really took off, but my, my term was web content delivery system. Um, what we're seeing is uh, content management systems that are phenomenally good at delivery. They're really, really good at delivery. I mean, let's look at WordPress. WordPress is really good at delivery. It, it can respond to requests and has great templating language and can deliver your content really, really well. Well, what if WordPress does not allow you to produce or manage content the way that you want? Could we use WordPress just for the delivery? Could we use WordPress just to serve up requests but actually make our content somewhere else? And I maintain about five years ago the precedent for this was sort of set when Alfresco um, made a plug-in with Joomla of all platforms. Um, I found it kind of shocking, but apparently the guy who managed Alfresco loved Joomla for some reason. Well, they made a platform where you could use a Joomla install to serve up Alfresco content. And so Joomla kind of became the web front end of Alfresco. And you see this too with LifeRay a lot. I don't know if you're familiar with LifeRay. It's a Java-based portal system. A lot of people are using LifeRay as their web front ends for their Alfresco implementations. And this is a very, very interesting trend because it lets the two systems concentrate on what they do best. You know, Alfresco, very, very good at managing content, of strongly managing content, putting permissions around it, putting workflow, all that stuff that's very, very management-oriented. Where something like a WordPress is really, really good at delivering content and templating content and all and, that and stuff. And being very malleable on that front end. Right, exactly. And so what we may see is we may see content management systems that are really, really good at creating content and managing content, and they're pushing content into completely different systems that specialize in the delivery of content. And um, here's a trend that I've waited to see, and I'm still waiting to see, and I don't know if it'll actually come true, but you're seeing content management companies um, like Episurfer and Sitecore on the .NET side, where I spend a lot of time, are doing some amazing things in the content delivery space. So they're doing some amazing things that happen after you publish your content with personalization and all this neat stuff. What happens when they make that stuff so amazing and so incredible and everybody loves loves it so much that somebody inside Episerver goes, you know what? Our content delivery stuff is so good that if we could sell that on top of Sitecore implementations, and that's probably a bad example because Sitecore does the same thing, but let's say Episerver said, what if we mm-hmm. could provide these content delivery features to somebody running Drupal? And they think, well, what if we break off the whole site delivery part of Episerver and we turn it into something that will could be back-ended by any CMS? So you could run Drupal on the back-end, but deliver it through Episerver site management thing. And how long are we going to see before some content management company says, let's break off our delivery tier into a separate product and let's license that to other content management companies. And then you're going to have things where a content management company really sells two things. They sell a content management piece and they sell a content delivery piece. And you can buy both or you can mix and match. You could buy a content management system from one company and you could buy a content delivery system from another company. And there are several different specifications that are sort of trying to lead us down this path. You have things like JCR and CMIS, which are trying to standardize the management and access to content. And if one of those should ever get a lot of traction, um, you know, JCR isn't used much outside the Java space and CMIS is 
sort of on, sort of off. I don't think anybody in the industry can decide whether we love it or not. But then the uh, the PH the Create JS uh, crowd is trying to put some energy behind uh, PHP CR too, which, which is like a, basically a PHP implementation of a, of the same concept. You know, CreateJS opens up a whole other interesting thing because CreateJS, in a lot of ways, is trying to break off content production. Yep. So if we look at the content lifecycle as having three pieces, content production, content management, and content delivery, what if all three of those pieces were served up by separate systems? What if you had one system to do your content production, you had one system to do your content management, and you had one system to do your content delivery? I don't think we're that far off. I really don't. Well, it, it, it's actually funny that you mentioned it. There's a project that we that uh, our team at Lullabot just worked on um, that it's like you know streaming video and – you know. Uh, the whole nine yards. They're using Drupal to manage uh, a large um, percentage of the content that's just there on the site. Um, but the actual front end isn't Drupal-generated HTML. It's um, basically a, a client-side web app that pulls JSON feeds um, from Drupal. And that's the primary mechanism that, that Drupal content gets served up to it. And that means that they can use the same backends for an iPad, an iPhone app, and an Android app, and an actual web front end. It, it, it's interesting to see these kinds of things start happening, even if they're sort of the edge cases right now. Yeah, and I don't think we're that far off from, from really seeing that more and more. You're seeing more and more websites that are really built in the client. So the actual website is really doing nothing but serving up JSON or serving up XML or serving up some other data source. And the logic for the website is implemented in JavaScript and really executes in the client. And in that phase, I mean, content delivery by Chrome or by Firefox or by Internet Explorer is really your content delivery tier <laughs> because all your CMS is doing is serving up pure data. And that's obviously you know, taken to an absolutely absurd extreme. But, I mean, we, Blend has done several projects like that where mm -hmm. basically the entire website is a client-side generated website and the CMS is just serving up data. And in that point, what content delivery is your CMS really providing? Ah, it's, uh, this, is, this is stuff that's near and dear to my heart. I think uh, it, it, one of the things that I think I've, I've worked on for a while with Lullabot or with, um, with Drupal in particular is um, the – it gets a. I, I like to say that it gets a bad rap for uh, having uh, a sort of unhelpfully generic actual content management interface in a lot of ways. Um, but there's a pretty large toolbox of stuff to basically roll your own workflows and content management, and you know the actual experience of somebody who has to go in there and either create or you know manage the content long term. It's it's very flexible, and you can sort of build out and almost anything you want, but. It, again, it's one of those things that someone has to deliberately decide that that's a portion of a project they're going to focus on. You know, it, it's the the often neglected back end because, you know, when you're planning out all the wireframes and, you know, the deliverables and stuff like that, you know, bringing the people who are going to, you know, administer stuff in and saying, what tools do you need is usually not one of those things that happens. Well, you know, back when we used to just do straight-up development, you would have a developer that would come up with all this neat stuff, and then he would go back and talk to a DBA. And the <laughs> DBA was responsible for providing a low-level service that you needed to get your stuff done. And then a friend of mine once made a very, very um, profound comment when he said a content management system is just a relational database management system management system. <laughs> so really all a content management system is is another layer on the outside of a relational database to provide some higher level content functionality, things like the workflow and versioning 
and some content model and content geography pieces. And so I'm wondering if we don't have DBAs and then DBAs are in front of the DBA is a CMA, a content management administrator. See, the, so yeah, w- yeah. when you're a developer who wants to make your app, so you decide, well, the app's going to do this, this. Okay, now let's go talk to a CMA about having the content management system reconfigured to help us do all this stuff. And then the CMA would go talk to the DBA if he had to. And, and so I'm wondering if content management systems really are just a database value add at this point. Well, it, it's actually interesting because one of the questions I had jotted down here that I wanted to ask you about was that it seems like the, the, the world of content modeling shares so much in terms of basic tasks and terminology and, you know, the, the kinds of conceptual challenges with, with database modeling. You know, it, it's anybody who, you know, cracked open their books and learned about, you know, the, the various normal forms and stuff like that is at least familiar with a lot of the challenges of, you know, staring at a giant pile of HTML and saying, how do we, how do we turn this into stuff that we can model in a CMS or something like that? It's, it's, you know, a lot of overlap, but there is a difference with that. You know, it, it's in, in most modern, you know, sites and CMSs, you're not just deciding what tables you're going to throw together. Um, what do you think the pitfalls are for people who, for people who approach it from a development background and just sort of treat it as that, you know, I'll decide what tables I need, you know, kind of challenge. Well, content management systems are basically an abstraction layer on top of a database. I mean, they're, they're basically systems that um, make some aspects of a database more palatable for people who don't want to really work with a database. Um, and when I was talking to Sarah about her book, we were talking about this aspect of content modeling and everything. And while I love the term content modeling and I love to do content modeling, if we pretend, I mean, we're kidding ourselves if we pretend that content modeling is anything more than just simplified data modeling, right? <laughs> so we are standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, you know, there are people who have been working in relational database for years that are saying, yes, tell me more about how you're doing new and inventive stuff that, you know, I've been doing for 30 years. And, and so I, I think that content modeling is really just database modeling by another name. But what I think content modeling, and if you want to talk about pitfalls, one thing that you have to be very careful of is when you're doing a content model for your CMS, you have to strike a balance between complexity and flexibility. If you go back to your textbooks and you try to implement every normal form <laughs> – you're going to have some pissed off editors. The fact is, with a content management system, you denormalize a little bit, and you denormalize a little bit in the sake of simplicity and the sake of usability. Yep. Um, you cannot treat a content management system as a pure database because you'll drive yourself nuts. And if you completely try to normalize a content model, I mean, your editors will come after you with torches and pitchforks. And so well, I think that's, that's one of the, if you approach a content management system as a database modeling project, you're going to go too far. Mm-hmm. Um, there has to be some level of of negotiation where you just sort of say this is not perfect, and there are relational uh, database people and there are DBAs that would have my head for this, but it's good enough for our particular uh, particular implementation. And I think, like in in our in our case, one of the things that we've found comes up a lot is the idea that you know approaching it from a pure you know database oriented standpoint, uh, it, it often it ignores a lot of the basic tasks that people need. You know, it, it, it basically collapses a lot of management and editorial tasks down to you need to insert or update a record, not, you know, I need to, you know, I, I need to put up an event or something like that. You know, there, there can be much more complex tasks and, you know, business objectives around that, that I think that, that may be where 
the the content modeling versus the pure underlying data modeling can come in you know figuring out where those lines are need to be drawn for something other than just you know pure lookup efficiency yeah because at the end of the day i mean we're talking about creating an event or something like that at the end of the day the the insert statement that executes somewhere in the back of that is sort of incidental i mean it's obviously critical but it's one of a million different things that might happen in the generation of that content and so what content management systems do is they abstract you far enough from mundane tasks like data storage that you can concentrate on the higher level content oriented aspects of it, like permissions and workflow and content production related tasks. They try to roll up the actual, actual data management part of it um, to make it less of an imposition, essentially. Well, you know, I... I Mind you, there are several DBAs right now. Um, booking flights to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to track me down and beat me to a pulp. I realize this. I, I, I've built a couple of sites that got that reaction too. It, 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 it feels a little inevitable sometimes, but uh, yeah, it, it, I, there, there was always a running joke in uh, much older versions of Drupal that you could, you could very easily generate some truly heinous database structures by, if you did enough clicking around. But, uh, <laughs> ho- hopefully we smoothed things right? out a little bit, but you know. Knock on wood. Um, well, one of the one of the other things that I wanted to make sure that I asked you about before uh, before we have to close things up um, is something that you actually just mentioned. Uh, it's a phrase that um, I know you've used it a lot in your writing. I'm not sure if it's you know necessarily common or if it's if it's sort of what you hang a couple of ideas on. This concept of content geography, um, sort of like something that transcends like hierarchy or you know taxonomies or whatever. It's sort of like the level above that of just you know how you how you structure things. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about like the distinction between those different things in, in the CMSs? Sure. When you talk about content modeling, I, I think you can split content modeling into two disciplines. What, what I call discrete content modeling, which is the content model as it is local to that one piece of content. So if I have a press release, you know, I'm going to divide this up into fields. I'm going to have a title and I'm going to have a subtitle and I'm going to have a body. These are all very important concepts, but this is discrete to that object. The next level of content modeling would be how that content re- relates to other content in the system. And there are really two flavors of that even. There's the relational flavor of, okay, this piece of content has an author that is really another managed piece of content. But then at the larger level is what I call a content geography, which is how content lives in relation to other content. And this is most often represented as some kind of parent-child relationship, how our content is organized into a hierarchy. And what is the geography of the content? If you were to traverse our content management world, um, how would you move from content item to content item? Where does it live spatially? And this is really an information architecture concept. I think this came to me, actually. Um, Louis Rosenfeld wrote the Polar Bear book, mm-hmm. which is the kind of seminal book on IA. And he talked about um, local navigation. So navigation is local to the area that the user is in. And I got thinking about this concept of, I think that's where I actually came up with the term geography, because we tend to think about content in spatial terms. We navigate through a content model. Mm -hmm. You know, we go through content to get to other content and content is related to and lives, quote unquote, lives in a certain spot in relation to other content. We talk about how 
well, this piece of content is a child of this piece of content. So it lives under that content. And it's a grandchild of this other content. And in our head, the way that we're thinking about this is in terms of a tree. And then, well, this content is way over here as opposed to this content. Well, that phrase way over here. There's a spatial element to that. It's spatial. I mean, content is spatial. And so that's where I came up with the idea of content geography. Now, some content may be highly geographic. Um, you know, the marketing site, uh, the marketing section on your website may be very geographic. It has pages that are placed in specific places in relation to other pages. You have a products page. It has two children, product A, product B. They are specifically set there as children of your products page, and they're in a specific order. Product A is in front of product B. This is a very, very uh, geographic section of content. There's other content that's really not that geographic. This big bucket of press releases that you have. That's not geographic at all. I mean, they're it's, all just it's in essentially like a river of news blog, but it lives right. in a particular spot. Exactly. If they all have dates, they sort of all sort themselves out. And yeah. so there's really no geography to that at all. Now, Bill Kava, who uh, was the CIO of Ektron for many years and is now the developer evangelist, he and I have had an argument about this for years because Ektron is a lot like Drupal in the sense that there's kind of a big bucket of content and you organize content with menus, right? So with Drupal, Drupal is like the classic big bucket of content system where there really is no geography. There are some modules that will give you like node relativity, I think is one of them, yep. will give you some kind of spatial relationship. With Drupal, you have this massive bucket of content and you create mini geographies in the form of menus. And, and, and I think views has also come in and, and really grown into that role too. You know, So much of the structure of a lot of sites it consists of targeted views or just essentially leaf nodes of you know, a, a single piece of content. I'm actually going to dispute that because that is what I would Uh call content assembly. I would call it content geography is a place where content lives in relation to other content. So it's, it's rooted in that location. Whereas a content assembly is some temporal transitional conglomeration of content for some reason. And so I would actually call that a content assembly, which I wrote another big blog post on earlier this year. I, I, content, I have it bookmarked, another one of my favorites. <laughs> and a content geography is really um, – where a content is, where a content appears in relation to other content, I maintain can be rooted, meaning that content lives in that location, that is its home, or mm-hmm. it can be transitional or temporal, meaning it doesn't live there. It's just appearing with that content right now for one reason or another. Uh, and, and that's where Drupal's menu system comes in. It's, you know, an, an actual hard addressable URL that a thing is at. Yes. And I, I, I think that Bill Kava, getting back to Bill Kava, what he challenged me was to don't think about content geography as a single thing. Um, different systems like Ektron, he was arguing, uh, and Drupal can have multiple geographies because with Drupal, every menu is its own geography. Every menu in Drupal defines where content lives in relation to other content. And so it was a very interesting and challenging way of thinking about that. And my resistance to Drupal over the years, I don't hate Drupal. I respect Drupal very much, but I've only implemented it once and will probably never implement it again because (laughs) it just goes against my hardwired need for a strong geographic system. And that geography usually always manifests itself as a content tree of some type, a, a single source of hierarchical structure to all the content in your system. And I don't know if it's a defect, maybe a personal defect that I can't seem to break away from that, but that's the one reason Drupal and I have never gotten along is because <laughs> I just, I can't get out of that, of that thinking. No, I, I think that's very interesting. And I mean, that is one thing that we've seen, you know, there are, there are some projects where there's just a need for an extremely strong 
hierarchies. It's just in, in the the inherent, you know, place where things are. And, you know, that is definitely something that you sort of have to, you know, crack open your toolbox and, and essentially construct that in Drupal. It's not something that's just baked into the way you approach things. Um, like I think one of the, one of the large subsites on, on the drupal.org domain is the groups site. It's, you know, sort of like a, a discussion groups style thing. And it's almost, you know, it, each individual group has its own sort of sub geography in that sense, but it's like a giant archipelago of, of, of content islands that, that don't necessarily have any connection to each other at all. They're, you know, they're individual islands with their internal geography, but taken as a whole they're they are a giant, a giant soup. Yeah, and that has really been my struggle with Drupal over the years, is I can't just seem to wrap my head around that. And I'm beginning to think it's – because everyone else seems to love Drupal, so it, it, I'm beginning to think it's like a total um, personality defect on my part. I'll, I'll, I, I'll I think it boils someday. down to people who've had to implement a strong hierarchy in Drupal or not. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in the hierarchical model, not only from a logical standpoint, but I think that users understand it. Very, very well. I think users gel with it. They understand the concept of this page has these children. And um, I think that eases training and it eases adoption quite a bit. But, you know, I, I've been wrong before and Drupal's success over time has probably just simply proven me wrong again. So it's happened well, before. It'll happen again. It's it's a big world full of a lot of different websites. I think that's that's one of the interesting things, you know, for me. It, it, it's that, you know, I I've, I've been – involved with a lot of Drupal-related stuff over the years. But, you know, it's the knowledge that there are a lot of different kinds of needs and there are a lot of different tools out there that really have real strengths that, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to try to pretend that there's any one of them that is just the end-all, be-all of things with content. Right. I've always maintained that, you know, in physics, physicists are trying to come up with the grand unified theory, um, which is <laughs> The grand unified the CMS. Right. We're, we're trying to come up with a grand unified theory of content. And we've, we found some things that work better than others, but everybody claims to have the grand unified theory and nobody really does because someone else comes away with something that counters that theory and is wildly successful. And so that throws everything else into disarray. So there is no grand unified theory. The best theory of content management is the one that works for you. <laughs> I like it. So but before we go, uh, I'll, I'll ask the uh, how would you solve poverty question and, uh, and say like – for for somebody who's in an organization, they're they're just trying to chew on, you know, just starting to chew on the idea of like a replatforming project, and they're and they're taking this, you know, this cold hard look at the system that they've got and the the content that they they have and they've accumulated. You know, do, do you have any advice for them? You know, what 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 sort of lessons should they should they absorb before diving right in? I, I the absolute most important important thing to do when planning a replatform or something like that is to start with the audience. Sit down and identify your audiences, and you really want to identify three things. You want to identify that the audience exists, so this is a specific <laughs> demographic of people that are coming to the website. You want to identify what that audience's goals are, and then you want to identify what your goals are for that audience. So, you know, person X may come in wanting to do something, and that's fine. You want them to do that thing, um, but you also want person X to do something. And define what those goals are. Build your website around the results of that exercise. Because what you're going to find is there's an enormous amount of content on your website you didn't really need. That is not really serving any particular audience and really is not furthering your organization in any way. And that takes and so, time to maintain and manage. Right. And the results of this exercise will drive the system that you need to adopt. Because you might, might find out that either A... You don't need nearly as complex of a system as you have or think you need. Or B, your system is way too simple and you actually need to move up market quite a bit. Um, 
so there, there's really no, in terms of any general web content project, there, we talk about there not being a grand unified theory. I maintain there is a grand unified theory of content strategy, and that theory starts off, identify your audiences and figure out what they need. And that is really step one of any project. Well, thank you very, very much for, uh, for joining me, and uh, it, it's been a pleasure. It's been, it's been great for me, too. Am I going to get to hear the jingle on the way out, or am I going to have to wait for that?